Let's pray as we begin today. Lord, we thank you so much for the truth of Psalm 37 that we just read, that we can trust in you, we can do good, and that you promise that we can inherit the land. We just ask, Lord, that we wouldn't fret when we see evildoers around us, but that we would trust in you, believing that as we commit our way to you, you will bring it to pass. Lord, we need you to speak to us. We need you to calm our hearts, to give us your confidence that you're with us today and for all eternity. We ask, Lord, that you would have your hand upon us for good, and we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us by your Spirit and empower us by your Spirit, that we would serve you and serve others. We commit this time to you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in First uh, John chapter 5, if you want to turn there. Uh, the theme for the message this morning is to have confidence in the Lord now and forever. And there are a lot of things that trouble us as we look around. Uh, of course, we saw the destruction of uh, horrible earthquakes that happened. We saw uh, people suffering in Turkey and Syria. Uh, we have things in our own community that cause us to get shaken up a little bit. But we need to remember that we can put our confidence, our trust in the Lord. And I want to talk uh, first about a person that's not found in this passage, but someone that you might uh, be familiar with. He was one of the richest people uh, living in his area, uh, so rich that people from other countries came to try to steal his riches. He was fortunate that he had beautiful uh, sons and daughters, and um, it seemed like he was a righteous person living uprightly when his sons and daughters even had the inclination of doing something that might be not quite right. He prayed for them and he uh, sought the Lord on their behalf. And um, some of you might know uh, who I'm speaking about, but that person also became one of the people that suffered more than any other in his time. His name, of course, Job. And Job, he had a purpose, he had a focus. Even when his wife told him, stop trusting in God, you know, uh, curse God, and you're already in the process of dying, so just, you know, commit yourself to dying. But he said, you know, how can we receive good from the Lord, but not receive evil in return? Well, Job, he had some statements that we should be familiar with, um, and I'm going to read them to you, that showed that he had confidence in the day that he was living, and he had confidence forever. If you're taking notes, you can write down Job 23 from verse 8 to 12. Job says uh, in Job 23, verse 8, Look, I go forward, but he is not there, and backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. So he was looking for the Lord in his trials. He was looking for the Lord in the circumstances that he was going through, but he couldn't see the Lord with his own eyes. But what does he say? He says, he, the Lord, knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, meaning when this process has come about, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. I have kept his way and not turned aside. 
And in the midst of difficulties, oftentimes, right, we look for our own way to solve the difficulty. And some people, unfortunately, they turn back from following, following the Lord, thinking, how could God allow this to happen? But Job says, he knows the way that I take. And when his testing has been completed, I will come forth as gold. Kind of like uh, metal being refined, right? You go through the refining fire, and at the end, it is more pure. And he says, uh, he has tested me, and I shall come forth as gold. My foot has held fast to his steps. Isn't that beautiful? Uh, we all live in an area where there is snow. And I remember being uh, young, you know, going out uh, hunting with my father. And he says, the snow's deep. Walk in my footsteps, right? And uh, the Lord, he wants us to be so close to him that we get past the difficulties by walking in his steps. Well, Job had that hope, not just for his day, but for all eternity. And one of the most beautiful passages of the book of Job is found in Job chapter 19 from verse 25 to 27. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin is destroyed, meaning after this physical body dies, I know that in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself and my eyes shall behold, not just looking uh, with someone else's eyes, he says, but my own eyes shall behold. And then he says, my heart yearns within me, right? He says, my Redeemer lives, and I'm waiting for the day that he stands on the earth, and I am going to see him for myself. My heart is stirred up, yearning within me for that day. So we can see that Job, he trusted the Lord in his trial at that time, and he also trusted him, had confidence in him for eternity. Now, as we begin from 1 John chapter 5, um, and do you got the slides on the computer because I'm not able to change them here. Uh, we're going to read from 1 John chapter 5, uh, verse 1. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So uh, everyone who believes, uh, I mentioned it previously, confidence uh, really means with uh, fider, which is from the root to have trust or faith. So we're putting our trust in the Lord. That's what having confidence means. And it says, whoever believes that Jesus has been born of God uh, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one who is born of him. So we're putting our trust in Jesus. Uh, this causes us to be born of God, have new spiritual life. And then it causes us to act upon the love that we have received from the Father because we in turn love everyone who has been born as well, born of the Father. In chapter 4, verse 11, it says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Meaning, since God has loved us, and it says, so loved us, right? It talks about the measure or the degree, right? God's immeasurable love has been expressed to us. So we also ought to love one another. And this is what is being repeated in chapter 1, 
uh, I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, Everyone who loves the Father, uh, expressing your confidence, your faith in the Father, loves whoever has been born of Him. We talked about that last week, right? It shouldn't be hard for us to express love to other believers. This is the heart of the Lord. Uh, we're going to go to verse 2, and it says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep, keep His commandments. So, uh, keeping, meaning that we're obeying, and it reminds us that love takes action, right? We obey His commandment by keeping them. And we read uh, previously in the same uh, letter of 1 John from chapter 3, uh, verse 16 to 19. I'll read it for us. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. We also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Whoever, see, whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, and then shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not just love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So, Keeping God's commandment means that we're willing to lay down our life and give up our goods, our possessions, for brothers and sisters who are in need. And there's a great joy in that. Uh, we think, when we look selfishly, as we give up something, that I'm going to become weaker. And I mentioned it before that at least three times, uh, Martin and I, we've given up pretty much everything and made some transition in ministry. And we would never felt weaker when we gave up those things. We always felt stronger. Um, we have a friend, uh, he was living in Southern California. He had a beautiful house uh, on the hillside that overlooked the uh, Pacific Ocean and Laguna Beach. And he and his uh, wife, uh, Sherry, they were doing quite well. He was a business owner. One of the fires came through like you see in California and it consumed their house consumed all of their memories. And um, he later said, looking back, it was probably one of the best things that happened to us because we were putting our trust in those things and it helped us to get repurposed upon God. And so don't be afraid to help people even when it takes faith, right? Uh, you might see that the need is greater than your capacity, but if you take the first step, God will meet you. And he'll bring other people alongside to join you in your commitment. In uh, chapter 5, verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Uh, that means it's not a heavy burden, right? Each of us have probably carried heavy suitcases. Uh, some people have worked with heavy equipment. But walking with God and keeping his commandments is not meant to be a burden to us. And I always remember, and I love, I think most of us do, the words of Jesus when he said in Matthew chapter 11, he actually calls people to him. He says, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then listen to this part, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Walking with Jesus 
it's that he is the one carrying the yoke, right? And we're aligning ourselves with him so that we walk in unison with him. And uh, many of you probably know that when they taught a younger animal uh, to walk, they would put it with a more experienced animal on the same yoke. And the big oxen would carry the weight of the yoke and the other one would learn how to follow the commands and walk in a straight line. And when we walk with Jesus, we are not the ones carrying the majority of the burden, right? He is, and we're simply aligning ourselves with him. Jesus said in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? So our heart of love for Jesus means that we do what pleases him. And this is what is being spoken of here in this passage. Uh, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not a heavy burden. Sometimes people express things like, oh, it's so hard to walk with the Lord. You know, we need to kind of correct people that say that. It is good to walk with the Lord. He is good, and his goodness endures forever. And if you feel too burdened in walking with the Lord and what you're doing, then maybe you have taken too much upon yourself. And you need to remember that you're aligning yourself. You're walking parallel in unison with Jesus, right? Don't get ahead of him. Walk with him because his burden is light and his yoke is easy. Verse 4 uh, in 1 John chapter 5. I love this verse. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, right? So... Um, the victory is already won for us. Uh, one of my favorite verses that Paul wrote from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in victory. Right? How often? Always. And uh, if you're not experiencing victory, you need to realign yourself with the Lord. Because it says, thanks be to God, right? It's a prayer, who always leads us in victory. And everyone who has been born of God, everyone, right? So if you're a true believer here, you're born of God. Uh, you have new spiritual birth. And it says, uh, this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Uh, our faith looks back, right? Looks back to Jesus on the cross. And Jesus on the cross, he overcame the forces of darkness. He silenced them because he rose again on the third day from the grave. And that is our victory. We already have victory in Jesus and we have overcome the world. And in the context, we remember from chapter 4 of 1 John, uh, he's talking about uh, false prophets and unclean spirits. And he says in chapter 4, verse 4, if you're there, you are of God, little children, and have overcome them, meaning these unclean spirits that are influencing people to turn them away from the Lord. It says, you have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. We have the victory because Jesus is in us, the Holy Spirit is in us, and he is leading us in his victory. So, you know, don't be one of those believers that always walks around with a tissue in their hand, right? Because God wants us to live in victory. And I'm really thankful for most of you that you have a lot of experience with the Lord. And your experience teaches you to have joy, right? You don't focus upon the circumstance. You focus upon Jesus. 
Verse 5 says, chapter 5, verse 5, Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The other translation says, Who is this that overcomes the world, except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So we overcome through our faith. Are you living as an overcomer? Right? Um, Are you focused upon Jesus? Uh, Jesus went through horrible trials, but he said before he was going to endure the cross in John chapter 16, verse 33, he says, These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have what? I have overcome the world. Yeah, so we have the victory in Jesus. We should see ourselves as overcomers. There's really not a question, right? But there is a choice. You don't have to doubt about it, but you do have to choose. And the choice is to follow Jesus so closely that you're always walking in victory, right? Verse 6, chapter 5 of 1 John, verse 6. This is he, Jesus, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. So, uh, Jesus came. Uh, There's different thoughts about what the meaning of the water and the blood mean. But there's times in the scripture where it is made pretty clear. And uh, we know that when Jesus was baptized by John... As he came up out of the water, the Holy Spirit came down upon him in the form, and it even says, in the bodily form of a dove. And what did the people around here at that time? They heard a voice from heaven, from the Father, saying, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Right? So it was a great testimony that the Spirit of God came down, and it was meant so that people would understand that Jesus was the Messiah. And John, uh, who was baptizing, uh, speaks about this. Uh, John the Apostle writes about it in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. And I'll read a few verses for you from the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29 to 34. The next day when John, uh, the one baptizing, saw Jesus coming towards him, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now listen to these next words and connect it to the testimony of the water. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man, Jesus, who is, before, who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, meaning he didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but that he would be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending upon him from heaven like a dove and remaining upon him. I did not know him, but he, the Father, who sent me to baptize with water, said to me, John, upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining upon him, this is he, Jesus, who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So do you see the connection? Uh, John is saying, I wasn't aware that Jesus was going to be the promised Messiah. 
But the father said, as you go and start baptizing and preparing the way for the Messiah, you're going to see the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove come upon the one who is the Messiah. And he says, now I can see and testify, look, this is the Lamb of God. He is the one. And so at the time of Jesus' baptism, it was a sign that the Father approved and Jesus started the ministry that he was called to do. So that's why I believe if we go back to um, 1 John chapter 5, verse 6, and then verse 7, I'll read verse 6 again. It says, this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only. I think it's speaking of baptism, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Verse 7. There are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood. And these three agree. So, at the time of the baptism of Jesus, there was an agreement. And what was the other time of a strong testimony that was connected to blood? Most likely the crucifixion, right? Because... As they pierced his side to prove that he had died, it says uh, water and blood came out. And one of the centurions that was standing there, he says, truly, this is the Son of God. Right. And right after John records it in his gospel, he says, I write these things that you may know that these things are true. So right after the crucifixion, John says this bold phrase, what I've written, I've written that you might know that it is true. And it testifies of the fact that Jesus came to fulfill the promise and the purpose. And we also remember at the time of the crucifixion, uh, it wasn't just the people standing around. There was such a huge earthquake that the graves of the people who had died in faith opened up. And after Jesus' resurrection, it says the spirits of those people who had died in faith went into Jerusalem and they testified, declaring that Jesus was the Messiah. So, yeah, it's very interesting. Martin and I, we've stood there and some people pick up a little rock and they say, oh, if that rock wouldn't have cried out, uh, I mean, if the disciples wouldn't have cried out, this little rock would have cried out. But I believe it talks about the graves that are all there and that uh, as happened, right, at the crucifixion and his death, the earth shook, the graves were open, and after the resurrection, because he's the firstborn of those that would resurrect from the dead, never to die again, the spirits of those people came out and did testify that they had died in faith. So these three, right, the baptism of Jesus, showing that he's the beloved son, the crucifixion of Jesus, showing that he's paid the price for our sins, and then being born again and having the Holy Spirit inside of us, he gives us the testimony that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And it says these three agree, right? The whole purpose is that we would have confidence today that Jesus is the Son of God. Verse 9 says, and you can switch it, please. Verse 9, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God, that he has testified concerning his son. Right? So we know that the father testified that Jesus would come. He prophesied in advance through the prophets that he would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem in Israel. And he also spoke at the time 
of the baptism of Jesus. This is my beloved son. He gives the testimony that he has approved the ministry and the life of Jesus. And uh, day by day, right, we receive uh, testimony by people. They might say, oh, it's cold outside. Take a jacket. So what do you do? Right. You take a jacket uh, or there's a big wreck on this highway. Go somewhere else. And you make an adjustment and you receive their testimony. So the father says, hey, look, he is the plan of salvation. Jesus receive this testimony. And it says we should receive it because God is greater and his testimony is greater testifying concerning his son. Verse 10. Whoever believes in the son has this testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe the son, I'm sorry, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that he has testified concerning his son. So we have God's spirit working inside of us, and it causes us to believe that Jesus is the son of God. A person who doesn't have God's spirit, you know, questions. Why did God need to send a son, right, to die? Maybe to them it doesn't make sense. But what they're really saying is the testimony of the father is not true. And they're saying that my plan is better than the father in heaven's plan. And that is calling, you know, what John says here, calling him a liar because they didn't believe in the testimony. I am so thankful, right, that I wasn't looking for the Lord, but he looked for me. And uh, my eyes were closed to things of heaven, but he opened them up. I am so thankful for that. And have patience with a person that questions God, but also tell them, there are so many reasons to believe. Don't just let them pour out their doubt and then not say anything. Remind them that we have many reasons to believe, that these things were not done uh, somewhere in a dark corner, but they were done openly so that everyone would believe. And when Paul says about his conversion, he says, hey, after the resurrection, there were over 500 people who saw him. Um, and we have reason to believe. Verse 11 this is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So uh, God's testimony is that he wants to give us the gift of eternal life. And when you receive a gift, it brings confidence, doesn't it? Right? Um, maybe in a marriage there's been some tension and then uh, the person doubts, does that person really love me? And then what happens, right? The, the person who made the bigger mistake goes and gets some gift sometimes, gives the gift and you say, oh, you still love me, <laughs> right? That's kind of in an earthly perspective, right? The gift brings confidence of the relationship, but the Lord, he gives us the gift of eternal life. Isn't that great? That he gave us eternal life. Um, this happened as Jesus died for our sins and rose again. And this life is in his son. Um, can you hand me that cup? So this is right, small cup everybody can see. If I had a big uh, five-gallon uh, container of water, could that water be poured into this cup? No, it would just overflow, right? 
and there's an extension cord down here, right? Could we take the electricity and the power lines and put it through that extension cord? No. Now, why do I say something like that? Because the one who is transferring has to be at least equal, if not greater, than what is being transferred. Now, get the connection. Because it says eternal life is in who? In the Son. Which means that Jesus himself must be eternal. Do you see the connection? It's so simple, right? You can't take a small uh, extension cord and have you know, thousands of uh, volts of electricity go through it. It would be destroyed. And you can't take a huge container of liquid and pour it into a small cup. It wouldn't work. But Jesus, because he is eternal, he can be the conduit to bring us eternal life. And we're told this many times. Um, in verse 13, it says, I write to you these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. I like that, that you may know. And let's uh, briefly review, uh, primarily from John's Gospel, a few verses that remind us of this gift. Uh, of course, the first one in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, it says, John 3, verse 15, that whoever believes in him, Jesus, should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And in chapter 4, of John, uh, Jesus is speaking. He says to the woman at the well, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Are you thirsty? Right? In a spiritual sense, you shouldn't be. Right? You should be pursuing the Lord, wanting to experience more of the Lord, but you shouldn't be thirsty. Because it says that if we drink of the water that Jesus gives, we will never thirst. But that water will be like a fountain, like a spring, springing up into everlasting life. In John chapter 5, verse 26. For as the Father has life in himself, listen to this closely. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. What kind of life? Eternal life, right? And that life, we are told, we receive through his son. In chapter 6, verse 40, it says, uh, Jesus speaking, And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the son believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So Jesus says, as you believe, you're going to have confidence now, but you're going to have it forever because I'm going to raise you up and you're going to have everlasting life. Also in chapter 6, verse 47 and 48, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever believes in me has everlasting life. Is that present tense or future? future. No, it's present, right? It's right now you have it. And he says, I am the bread of life. So as we come to him, 
to receive right, that spiritual bread, that spiritual life, we can know that we have everlasting life. And then in John chapter 10, I'm sure it's um, some of the favorite verses of uh, many of us today. John chapter 10 from verse 27 to 30. Jesus says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. They shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Jesus says here specifically, I give them eternal life. Uh, You're in the hands of the Lord. And we could continue, um, maybe one more uh, from John 17, the Gospel of John chapter 17. We'll read from verse 1 through 3. Jesus spoke these words, it's a prayer, as he lifted up his eyes to heaven. Right, so there's um, a biblical example of that we can look up as we pray, because Jesus did so. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your son may also glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life is knowing Jesus and abiding in him, doing what pleases him. And as we go back to 1 John chapter 5, We'll read now from verse 14, speaking specifically about confidence that we have. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So we ask according to the nature, the character of Jesus. And it says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. But there is a dimension of time, isn't there? Sometimes we ask, but it's not the Lord's time, so we have to wait. And uh, sometimes we ask, and we ask with a wrong motive, so the answer is no. But if we ask according to His will, when it comes to His time, He is going to answer. And Jesus says, I'm going to answer that your joy may be full. Right? And uh, we have experienced answered prayers, as most of us have, and it brings joy, doesn't it? Right? Ursula is with us today. Thank you, Jesus, because he answered the prayers in regards to her. And it brings us joy. And that's why some people, they make a, a note in their Bible or they have a journal that they write down answered prayers. And when you go through a difficult time, you don't seem to be hearing the Lord's voice. You go back and you remember all of the answers, and it brings confidence. As we have this confidence towards him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So I wanted to encourage you today, trust in the Lord now and for all eternity. Eternal life is a gift. It's something that we should have as a confidence inside of us. And we can pray, and we'll talk more about this next week, in accordance with the Lord's will, and we'll see his answers. Let's stand as we pray together. Lord, we are thankful for who you are. We're thankful that you chose to leave the majesty and the glory of heaven and come to earth. And we want to ask, Lord, that you would stir us up again 
to love and good works, that you would give us that confidence, even through trials like Job, that we can trust you and that in the end, we're going to see you, our Redeemer, standing upon the earth. We thank you, Lord, that we read the verse that you will raise us up in the last day and give us eternal life. So we want to praise you, Lord, for the expectation of heaven, for the hope of the resurrection, and for the promise and the guarantee of eternal life. Fill us afresh with your spirit. Use us for your glory and help us to live in confidence that Jesus is Lord and there is none other. We pray in his name. Amen.